Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we are going to talk about abortion rights as the Supreme Court is poised to perhaps overturn the 50-year precedent that protects a woman's right to choose. We'll hear about the efforts here in Michigan to get out ahead of what the court might do and from Planned Parenthood about what a post-Roe v. Wade America would look like. We also want to hear from you. Should America protect the right to abortion? That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. For most of us, for most of our lives, the abortion debate has been weighted, at least in the grandest legal terms, toward women deciding for themselves whether to carry a pregnancy to term or to end it. Roe v. Wade is nearly a half-century old now, and even though it has been the subject of one of the fiercest culture and political wars we know, and has been chipped away at again and again by Congress and state legislatures, it has protected at least the most basic right to abortion in all 50 states, again, for nearly half a century. But the end for Roe could actually be quite near. The Supreme Court seems likely to overturn Roe, or at least greatly weaken its effect near the end of its current session, which wraps up in late June. And if the court does reframe Roe or overturn it, that would mean that each state would get to decide again on its own what the scope and breadth of abortion rights looks like. And in many states, and Michigan is included in this category, abortions would just instantly be illegal across the board because state legislatures have already put laws on the books that ban them. Here in Michigan, abortion rights are not just standing around waiting to see what the court does. Last week, Governor Gretchen Whitmer filed a lawsuit in the Oakland Circuit Court which challenges Michigan's long-standing abortion ban passed in 1931. She's asking the Michigan Supreme Court to weigh in right away on the questions that her lawsuit poses. Here's what she had to say about it last week when she appeared on MSNBC. We're going straight to the Michigan Supreme Court to ask that they acknowledge women have uh, the right to privacy, the right to bodily autonomy under our uh, due process clause and our equal protection clause of the Michigan Constitution. So no matter how muddled Roe gets at the national level, Michigan women will have those rights going forward. So what the governor is doing is just one of several efforts to keep abortion rights in place here in Michigan. Planned Parenthood of Michigan and the ACLU of Michigan filed their own lawsuit on the same day that the governor filed hers. 
A little later in the show, we're going to talk with Dr. Sarah Wallet. She is an abortion provider who is also named as an individual plaintiff in that Planned Parenthood lawsuit. But first, we want to break down what these attempts to preserve abortion rights in Michigan are and what the political implications of all of this is. We want to talk first with someone who has been covering this story really closely. Beth LeBlanc is a reporter for the Detroit News, and she joins us now. Beth, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So remind listeners what it would look like here in Michigan if Roe is indeed overturned uh, at the end of this Supreme Court uh, uh, term, and what, and if the efforts to preserve abortion rights aren't successful, talk about what would this 1931 law make the landscape like here in our state? Yeah, so the 1931 law, actually, um, it makes it a felony for someone to perform an abortion. So it would largely focus on abortion providers, um, and, and it would focus in on them. Now, Michigan has had a ban on the books uh, since the 1800s, actually, against abortion. But the law was updated in 1931 to kind of increase some of those penalties for um, abortion providers and, and to kind of clarify the law a little more. So that's the one that's at issue here, and that's the one that both of these lawsuits are challenging, is that 1931 law. And if that law is is taking effect here in Michigan, as it has not been able to since Roe, uh, what do abortion rights advocates say it would look like? I mean, would that effectively end legal abortion here? Yeah, I mean, advocates are saying there's there's a lot of uncertainty going into, you know, what what should happen if Roe versus Wade is overturned and and the extent that this will be enforced. You know, I, I'm sure you're, you've heard as well that Attorney General Dana Nessel has said kind of from the beginning when this topic first was brought up that she would not enforce the 1931 ban if Roe v. Wade was overturned. There are several Democratic uh, prosecutors who also have said they will not enforce it. And, you know, that's where this kind of even before these lawsuits were filed, that's where this kind of became a little more political because we had the attorney general race going on in Michigan. Um, Dana Nessel will be up for re-election in November. So it's going to become a really big issue if they should decide to overturn Roe versus Wade because voters will essentially be looking at an attorney general who won't enforce the 1931 ban and potentially a Republican attorney general who will enforce that ban. Hmm. Um, so it has a lot of implications. And so that, uh, I think, helps explain the strategy by Governor Whitmer to file this lawsuit. Uh, really what she's asking the Supreme Court to do here in Michigan is remove that that kind of uh, possibility for ambiguity to make it really clear that uh, that abortion providers won't be punished, uh, can't be punished by law for, for performing legal abortions. Yeah, that's correct. And, and it, it should be interesting to see how the courts um, decide on this one, because there is some precedent in Michigan upholding the 1931 law that the courts will kind of have to square with when they're considering this. Um, you know, even after Roe versus Wade in 1973, the Michigan Supreme Court ruled on a separate case um, 
right after Roe versus Wade, and it upheld the law in as much as it didn't conflict with Roe versus Wade. So in that case, they it was about someone who who was going to perform an abortion who wasn't a doctor. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, we can still use our 1931 law to prosecute this person because Roe versus Wade only applies to those who are physicians who are performing abortions. And then in 1997, there was a separate case where the Court of Appeals um, was considering a, a challenge to an informed consent law in Michigan related to abortion. And the, the people who were opposing the informed consent law said, we want you to say there is no right in the Michigan Constitution to abortion. And at that point, the Court of Appeals said, we can't say that. There, to us, there is a right. There is no right to abortion in the Michigan Constitution. So there's those two cases um, that, that the courts will, will have to look at. And, um, but also, I mean, both, both suits from, from Governor Whitmer and Planned Parenthood have said, look, a lot has changed in 50 years since that 1973 decision from the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, Roe versus Wade has, has been chipped away at through these state laws that, that limit abortion rights. So there, there's going to be a lot of, of kind of really interesting legal framework to all of this, um, as well as the political. You know, I think I believe Governor Whitmer, as soon as she filed these suits, you know, has been fundraising off of this idea as well. Um, and, and certainly the, the Democratic base for, for both Whitmer and Nestle are, are watching this closely. I'm talking with Beth LeBlanc. She's a reporter at the Detroit News. She has been covering the struggle, the fight over abortion rights as it unfolds here in Michigan in advance of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in a case that has kind of invited it to overturn Roe v. Wade, the nearly 50-year-old precedent that protects abortion rights nationwide. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Call and tell us uh, what you make of a post-Roe world. What would it look like if women nationwide no longer had uh, an assumed legal access to abortion? Do you think that would be a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, do you think Governor Whitmer is doing the right thing by filing a lawsuit to overturn Michigan's really restrictive abortion ban in advance of what the U.S. Supreme Court does? Also, what do you make of Attorney General Dana Nessel, who says, first of all, she's going to refuse to defend Michigan's law and court, but also that if the Supreme Court in Washington overturns Roe, she will not prosecute uh, abortion providers under this 1931 law here in our state. Uh, also call in and let us know what your personal stories are related to the issues of re reproductive rights. We talk about this uh, frequently in the context of politics and culture, but these are very individual decisions. These are individual medical decisions. These are individual family decisions. Uh, and I think it's really important to surface that dimension of this conversation as well. Uh, if you feel comfortable, uh, call and tell us uh, about your experience with reproductive rights uh, here in, in the state of Michigan. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today 
and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Beth, I, I, I want to talk um, a little about the politics, a little more about the politics of this. It, it seemed to me that before the last week or so, Republicans had a, a pretty clear message that they were going to try to uh, use to unseat Governor Whitmer in the fall. They were going to focus on uh, her response to uh, COVID-19 and and say that it was over overly restrictive, that it damaged businesses, et cetera, et cetera. This seems to change the setting for that uh, that campaign and that conversation in a way that uh, I, I am not sure is as as beneficial to uh, Republicans in in terms of the public. Uh, this this idea that um, that you would make the abor- the the election about abortion, which uh, is not a subject that uh, the public is really split on. I mean, it's overwhelmingly uh, in favor of abortion rights. I, I-, I want you to talk just a little about the politics of that and how that might unfold as we get into the summer and the fall and head toward uh, the November elections. Yeah, so, you know, I've kind of heard two schools of thought on this um, from from political pundits in Michigan. And, and one is that this would just certainly, it would totally transform the whole focus of, of the campaign because now we have a very real possibility that abortion rights would, would be banned in Michigan. Um, and this, you know, I, I think in past years, you know, we've always had uh, like right to life of Michigan, a lot of Republicans use right to life as Michigan and their endorsed candidates to guide their their voting decisions one way or the other, especially in smaller races. Um, that has, you know, kind of been theoretical over the past decades because it, it hasn't been legal in Michigan. But now it has very real consequences depending on who you elect and how they'll enforce it, especially at the attorney general level. Um, and, and so that kind of takes on new meaning. I've talked to other people who have said, look, people are focused on the roads. People are focused on the inflation right now. People are focused on very real things, very close to the kitchen table issues that I know both sides have, have tried to latch onto and, and kind of run with in, in terms of addressing people's very needs, very, uh, real and like immediate needs in terms of that. So it, it should be interesting to see which one kind of comes to the front of the race in, in that sense, because um, there's kind of two schools of thought about how this would actually transform the race. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's start today with Alan in Pleasant Ridge. Uh, Alan, uh, welcome to welcome to the welcome to the program. Hey Stephen, thanks for having me on. I just actually had more of a comment about the whole situation. Um, you know, a lot with pro life people, um, you know, we have a lot of kids in adoption and in foster care and you know, it's like why don't you go and adopt ch- children that need help? you know, the current children and, you know, with medical care, you know, with medical issues and people that need it with abortion, it just, you know, in a sense, it really doesn't make any sense. 
Hmm. You know, so it's like if you're pro-life, you know, why don't you help the children that are already there? And that's really, really all I have to say about that. Yeah, Alan, I I really appreciate the call and that perspective. Is something I've heard I've heard a lot from uh, people who um, who would like to protect abortion rights that that they don't quite understand the other side and feel that um, that it's not a, a consistent position. Often that uh, the, the people who are really worked up about abortion because they say it's protecting children are not particularly exercised about the other threats to children that exist after they're born. Um, so I appreciate you calling and, and, and sharing that perspective. I want to go to Phyllis in Warren next. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Good to have you back. Hey. Uh, Stephen, I have an issue of uh, uh, a situation called a retained abortion. That was how my doctor referred to it. I was pregnant. This was about 60 years ago. I was uh, in about the fifth month, yet nothing viable was happening. Every time I went in, they tested me. I was pregnant, but nothing was happening. So because my doctor was a very strict religious person, he could not do what he knew he had to do, which was give me an abortion. Mm. And he turned me over to another doctor who did the abortion and took care of the problem. But I could have been one of those people, one of those women, with a calcified fetus inside her body and not know it because no one could tell me or would tell me. At least this doctor did do something, yeah. uh, and uh, that was what helped, helped, helped me and help the situation. But I had never heard of the situation. I do not hear often of it now, but I would like to know what someone else would say and advise me or someone like me to do. Uh, So, Phyllis, uh, this is a fascinating story, number one, because I I think I heard you right, that this predates Roe v. Wade and, and gives us, I think, a glimpse into what, Healthcare uh, looked like before uh, abortions were, were were made legal, but but I I, I want to have you talk just a little more about your doctor, the conversations you had with your doctor at the time, and and what your doctor was able to do, I guess, to help you, and and how he was restrained, I guess, because of uh, because of the state of the law. Are you still there, Phyllis? I think we might have lost uh, Phyllis. That's uh, that's too bad, uh, Phyllis. I I do appreciate you calling and uh, and sharing that perspective. Um, so, uh, Beth, before we have to end the segment, I I want to give you a chance to talk uh, a little more about um, what what abortion rights advocates are saying they will have to do. For instance, uh, if Roe is overturned. Uh, if we get to this point uh, where the Supreme Court says that is no longer the law of the land, what other things outside of these lawsuits uh, do, we, do we expect to see? So there's actually, um, right now, there is a petition circulating that would um, enshrine abortion rights in the Michigan Constitution. It's called the Reproductive Freedom for All Petition. So that is being circulated right now 
Um, now, that has also become a little bit of a, a talking point with these lawsuits as well, because Right to Life of Michigan is saying, you know, if, if you need a petition to enshrine the right to abortion in the Michigan Constitution, then how can you say in a lawsuit that it's already there? There's been like a little bit of back and forth about that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what you'd see, I mean, I, I think in other states that have banned abortion, you see a lot of women um, traveling outside the state to to get ac- access to abortions. You might see that in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might see it in terms of, you know, if, if certain counties aren't enforcing the law, I mean, potentially we would see certain clinics locate to certain counties and, and women traveling to those counties to get abortions. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit unprecedented. The, the state hasn't seen anything like this in, in 50 years. So I think what I've been hearing from abortion advocates is that there's just great uncertainty. They're not quite sure what to expect. Um, the They're not sure what the extent of enforcement of this law will be. Um, they're not sure whether these legal efforts or petition efforts will be successful. Um, there are a lot of moving parts to this debate right now. Um, you know, with with the first movement potentially coming at the U.S. Supreme Court level, so that's going to determine a lot of of the future in this debate. Yeah. Okay, Beth LeBlanc of the Detroit News. Great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Thanks for for joining. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we are going to continue the conversation about abortion rights. We're going to engage with Dr. Sarah Wallet. She's an abortion provider here in Michigan who is one of the plaintiffs suing to stop enforcement of this 1931 abortion ban here in Michigan. We'll hear what she thinks of a post-Roe landscape. Uh, We'll also continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones. Amy in Lincoln Park, Wardell in Jefferson Chalmers. We'll get to you. If you want to join them on the phones, call and tell us your views on abortion rights as well as your experiences with abortion rights, the personal side of this issue that gets buried often in the rancorous political and cultural rhetoric. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about abortion rights, which are on the table in Washington again, as the U.S. Supreme Court will rule uh, in a case that has invited it to overturn the near 50-year-old Roe v. Wade precedent that protects abortion rights nationwide. Uh, That has inspired a number of efforts on the local level all over the country, but especially here in Michigan, where if Roe is overturned or uh, significantly weakened, a 1931 law that punishes abortion providers uh, would be the law of the land and would really change the landscape for us here uh, in our state. 
we want to hear from you while we're talking about this. Call and tell us what you make of the state of abortion rights right now. Are they where they should be in this country? Are uh, abortion rights something that you believe uh, should be part of the legal landscape? Uh, or are you somebody who really doesn't believe that uh, women ought to be able to end pregnancies uh, if, if they so choose? Um, also, give us a call and give us a sense of your personal experience with reproductive rights. Uh, I, I strongly believe that the political and cultural argument about this is often shrill uh, and is always combative. It has the effect, though, I think often as well, of overshadowing the fact that this is a very personal experience. This is a very personal set of decisions that we're talking about. And so many of us, uh, especially women, but also men in in some cases, um, uh, have experiences that, that really shape the way we think and feel about this. We want to hear what those are for you while we, while we discuss this. Um, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. I want to welcome another voice to this conversation as well. Dr. Sarah Wallet is the Chief Medical Officer for Planned Parenthood of Michigan, and she is listed and as an individual plaintiff on Planned Parenthood's lawsuit to block enforcement of uh, that 1931 abortion ban that is on the books here in, in Michigan. Uh, Dr. Wallet, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're here. I want to first have you talk about how you view a post-Roe world, especially here in Michigan, if the Supreme Court does indeed overturn this decision and this 1931 law essentially becomes uh, the, the, the law of our, of our state. What, what do you imagine that will look like? Yeah, it makes me very worried. And and I I view abortion um, as a physician. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist with specialty training in abortion and contraception. Abortion is health care. And to me, what we're talking about is Michiganders losing their ability to access basic health care. And that will mean there's real um, medical and personal consequences to that. Um, I have the benefit of taking care of women and pregnant people every day in Michigan who are choosing to have an abortion. I get to hear their stories. Um, They're good, wonderful people who have complex lives who are making the best decision they can. And I worry about what it means for my patients if they don't have that option, if they're forced to potentially travel outside of the state or forced to continue a pregnancy that isn't the right thing for them. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that because, as I said in the open for the show, I I, I think one of the problems that we have with this issue, one of the really difficult uh, dimensions of it, is that it is a political and cultural and maybe religious argument for so many people. And that overshadows this very personal, health-related, often, um, uh, set of decisions that people 
have to make. Um, and so I want to give you a chance just to talk a little more about how important that is and how much of that you experience and see, again, as, as a provider here in Michigan. Yeah, physicians, um, physicians across the board view abortion as healthcare. That that's not an argument in the medical world. Um, you know, as a provider, as an obstetrician gynecologist who specials in pregnancy, I know that pregnancy has real um, physical and mental health consequences. Um, pregnancy can be a joyous, wonderful occasion, and pregnancy can also lead um, to a lot of complications and distress. Um, and, and in medicine, you know, we understand that uh, this is about protecting the health and lives of a pregnant person and respecting um, their wishes. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's hard to, um, you know, to think about it um, in all of these other terms and to help people understand um, kind of the real consequences of what it would mean for people um, when we only talk about it as a political or a cultural argument and, and, and really forget to think about it as, um, as healthcare and that it will impact the, the public um, health landscape of Michigan. And, you know, what that really means, not just for individuals, but their loved ones and their families um, and their communities by, by not having access um, to make reproductive health decisions for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to talk uh, just a little about the strategy with this lawsuit that uh, names you as a plaintiff uh, and how, I guess, it is different, perhaps, from the lawsuit that Governor Whitmer has also filed challenging uh, this 1931 law. Yeah, great question. I'm not a legal ex expert. I'm a medical right. expert, so probably can't can't answer all those detailed things. But I can tell you, Planned Parenthood and I filed a lawsuit on behalf of our patients, our and our staff who provide abortion care every day across the state. You know, as abortion providers, as people who actively um, take care of the Michiganders who need us, um, we recognize what this 1931 law going into effect could mean. And we're currently living in a real state of uncertainty where if the Supreme Court issues a decision in the case out of Mississippi, any day the landscape of what care I can provide to a patient dramatically changes. We could wake up tomorrow and Michiganders might not be able to access abortion. Um, which they've been able to do safely and legally for almost 50 years. Um, I don't think anyone wants to see us go back to that place where people would be forced to travel outside of the state or choose to manage abortions on their own because they wouldn't have any options and would have to do so out of the healthcare system. Yeah. I recently saw a patient who I wasn't able to provide an abortion for um, for various reasons. And um, I saw the devastation that caused her. She wasn't ready to be a parent. Um, she didn't want to have to choose um, adoption because she was worried what that would mean for her family. Um, and I know I changed her life by not being able to provide an abortion. And I think about waking up and one day having to tell all of my patients that I have the medical training, I have the knowledge, I could safely help you 
but now it is illegal for me to, and I could be charged with a felony if I provide you with medical care that you're asking me for. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it keeps me up at night when I think about that. I wonder if you can also talk about how frequently or infrequently this is a question of health or or life and death. Uh, I, I think one of the things that also gets lost in this is is that part of it that that again, as you've said, these are healthcare decisions, but but often somebody's health is at stake. Absolutely, pregnancy is one of the um, most dangerous things an otherwise young, healthy person can do. Pregnancy has significant risk. Now, we don't tend to think about that because pregnancy can also, for many, you know, be a time of joy and building your family. But there can be many health consequences of being pregnant. Um, and almost 100% of the time, having an abortion is always safer than continuing a pregnancy. Um, it just doesn't tend to be talked about that way because abortion is so stigmatized. And so for many people, it is making a decision about their health, about them feeling good, um, about making sure their mental health remains strong or they don't face any adverse um, consequences. Um, you know, the 1931 law uh, does make an exception in the case of um, life endangerment. And, you know, honestly, as a physician, that gets very complicated. When I'm helping a patient with an abortion, um, I like to think about their whole life and the impact of, of what being pregnant would mean for them. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I don't want to have to be the person who makes the decision for someone if they get to have an abortion or not. I really trust that each individual is the expert in their own lives. And they know way better than I do what it would mean to continue a pregnancy um, versus have an abortion and, and what's the right thing for them and their partner and their loved one and their family. Mm. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Amy in Lincoln Park. Amy, what's on your mind? Well, um, first of all, thank you, Planned Parenthood, for everything you've done for all the ladies that have needed help. Um, but first of all, the religious aspect of keeping out of church and state would be uh, top. Um, I, too, have had uh, a pregnancy at 25 weeks and uh, had to... I had preeclampsia, and it was me or the child. My husband had just lost his father and said, I can't lose you right now. I cannot do this. We cannot. So we had to make the decision. Unfortunately, my, my doctor didn't give me the options. Thank God it was the nurse that told me what we could do. Um, so... The religious part, I believe, needs to stay out of people's decisions. Um, it, this, it's not anybody's business what somebody does or who. It, we're supposed to stay out of everybody's choice. Mm -hmm. You can choose to be religious. You can choose whatever religion you want. Why is it somebody's choice to get involved in somebody else's pregnancy. I don't understand. So, Amy, I think that's a 
really wonderful point to make, and I really appreciate your sharing your story as well. But I wonder if you can talk about, if you're comfortable, um, the 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 religious dimension of your decision. Because um, I think I'm... Well, the whole I'm, idea is yeah, go ahead. keeping it separate. I mean, we're not supposed to have church and state. <laughs> right. We're not supposed to impose our religious views on others. I guess what I'm asking is, in this personal experience you had, uh, what role religion played for you in in making the decision that you did, if, if it played anything my at all? Doctor, I mean, go ahead. My doctor was of a religion that he didn't want to give me hmm. the option. Hmm. He, he kept information from me. And if it wasn't for the nurse, uh, I would have had to, uh, I could have got it. He wanted me to do it naturally, and it wouldn't, it would just wouldn't, nothing would proceed, nothing would go. Right. So, am I supposed to die with the mm. baby? He didn't want, you know, it, it was one of those situations where his religion played a part in my health. Yeah. Amy, I'm, I'm, again, really glad you called and, and shared your story. Uh, Dr. Wallet, I imagine you're listening to that um, with a little bit of horror, that story, but also with the anticipation that uh, the difficulties with this kind of situation in particular will just get worse if, uh, if Rose overturned. Yeah, thank you, Amy, so much for sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate you doing that. Um, I, I do worry that we could have more stories like that. We could have more physicians who are afraid to talk about abortion, that people just won't know what is available to them and their lives and health could be at stake. I, I do want to point out, sometimes there is this misconception around who has an abortion or who participates in abortion care. I'm an abortion provider um, in large part because of my faith background, and I was raised to believe that I should help others in need. Um, and many of my patients um, are um, religious. Studies show that more than half of abortion patients actually have um, a religion that they follow. Um, you know, people of religious backgrounds participate and have abortions every day. It's not black and white when it comes to individual decisions that people have to make for their lives and families. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about abortion rights and the potentially changing landscape for abortion rights nationwide and here in Michigan. We'll continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media as well. Wardell and Jefferson Chalmers, Scott and Westland, John on the east side. We'll get to you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about abortion rights this hour and the potential uh, change to abortion rights uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court. 
which will rule on a case that has invited it to overturn the near 50-year precedent of Roe v. Wade. Uh, if that happens, what will the legal landscape look like in states like Michigan that's still up for debate as Governor Gretchen Whitmer has filed a lawsuit challenging the law that would have uh, say over abortion rights here in Michigan if Roe were overturned. Uh, Planned Parenthood of Michigan has also filed uh, a lawsuit challenging that law, uh, which targets abortion providers. We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Call and tell us what you think of the current state of abortion rights in our country, whether it is the way it should be, whether uh, abortion should not be legal. Um, uh, also call and and give us a sense of your personal experience with uh, reproductive rights. So many of us have stories about how this issue has surfaced in our lives at some point. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. Kathy on Twitter says, making it illegal would have devastating effects. It's never going to go away. It should be safe, legal, and rare. We need much better health care and sex education in this country. Uh, RZS on Twitter says, if Michigan bans abortions, this legislation will only target those women and families who can't afford to travel outside of Michigan. People who can afford to travel will go to states where abortion is not a crime. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Wardell in Jefferson Chalmers. Wardell, what's on your mind? Well, I'd like to share a poem that I wrote that was inspired by Roe v. Wade. You know, the 7-2 decision, January 22nd, 1973. Mm -hmm. The poem is called, That Was the Year. That was the year they became best girlfriends. That was the year... They finished college. That was the year they traveled to Paris. That was the year they tossed caution to the wind. That was the year they lost their virginity. That was the year they both got pregnant. That was the year they had a deep discussion about their dilemma. That was the year they cried on each other's shoulder. That was the year they discovered both of the men were married. That was the year when abortions became safe and legal. That was the year when they each had private decisions to make. That was the year one of them became a loving mother. That was the year the other one became a loving godmother. Now, all these years later, they both are happily married with children, and they still are the best of friends. They have respect for each other's point of view. They never went back to Paris. Mm. Wardell, that's so moving. <laughs> did you did you write that recently, or did you write that uh, a long time ago? I wrote it uh, in '96. In '96, and it's, and it's a part of a collection of poems I wrote titled "Poetry About Women." Mm. What what inspired you in '96 to do that? Well, that decision and just the, that problem uh, what people have commented on that what would happen if you didn't have uh, safe and legal abortions. And my mother shared with me somebody that we knew this, this child had a physical disability. 
And my mother shared this with me when I was a teenager, that she had a botched abortion, and that caused her to be in that decision. And that's, that, was, that was very important in my mind, mm. uh, how devastating that it, that it could be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciate, um, appreciate you calling and sharing your poem and also sharing the inspiration for that poem, uh, Wardell. Thanks very much for, for calling in. Let's go next to Asa in Lincoln Park. Asa, what's on your mind? Yeah, hello. Go ahead, Asa. Hey, how's it going? So, yeah, just wanted to weigh in on this as a, as a Christian because I feel like that point of view uh, doesn't really get as much attention as it should. You know, I feel like people should really think about the God in this. You know, uh, having an abortion can lead to all all sorts of medical complications after the fact. You know, it can lead to uh, not being able to infertility later on. And then in, in terms of like late-term abortions, you know, and I know in cases of rape or incest, that is like, you know, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow there. But I do believe that God has a plan for everyone. But when it comes to late-term abortions, I don't think that that's healthy. Um, a lot of times what they'll do is they will, they'll just hold on to the baby. And then later on, they will sell the baby for body parts and these sort of things. So there's a lot of money to be made in, in organ doning and these sort of things and experimentation that goes underneath what people see. Nobody mm. sees all of that, all of that beyond it. All they know is, well, I got rid of the baby, so whatever. You know, nobody sees all the pain and hurt and anguish that happens after the fact. Yeah. Uh, Asa, I, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Obviously, I don't agree with many things you said, and there's a little bit of inf- misinformation, I think, uh, that that uh, that will actually ask Dr. Wallet to to clear up. Uh, but, but I do want to make the point that you started off saying that people should think about God and religion when they're thinking about this. And I think that one of the problems with saying something like that is the assumption that your view of God and religion is the right one and the one that works for everyone, which we don't live in a country like that, actually. Um, And I think I'm pretty thankful that we don't. uh, And I don't think it's okay for us to make assumptions that our decision is somehow holy and that somebody else's can't be. Uh, but Dr. Wallet, I want to have you address what I n- know you would identify as some falsehoods in some of what Asa was saying as well. Yep. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I want to make sure that everyone knows that abortion is very, very safe and complications from abortions are very rare. Abortion, in fact, is safer for someone um, than undergoing a colonoscopy or a tooth extraction. But there's a lot of falsehoods about abortion out there because of the stigma that surrounds it as a medical procedure. But it is, in fact, very, very safe. Um, Abortions that happen later in pregnancy happen very rarely. Less than 1% of all abortions in the United States happen in the third trimester. And when those abortions happen, something has deeply gone wrong. Um, they, they do not happen very commonly and are, and are generally happening because people are in very um, desperate situations. 
Um, and, and so, you know, thanks for giving me the opportunity to point out um, sort of the misconceptions that are out there about abortion. Uh, again, Asa, do appreciate that you listened, appreciate that you called um, and and shared your your, pers- your perspective. Uh, let's go next to Cindy in Ferndale. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, I mean, first of all, like late-term abortion, it, it's a political construct, not a medical term. Um, and they use it in the second trimester, which is fewer than 10%. So if we're attacking now, we're going after um, a law that was made in the 70s, um, and we're attacking voting rights. What's next? Civil rights? Hmm. Uh, Cindy, uh, appreciate the call and and the perspective. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know what's next, and I do think that uh, there are real questions about uh, again the individual liberty. Uh, dimension of this, the the idea of how we believe people should be able to have control over their own bodies. That is at the core of this uh, at this debate. Um, let's go next to Scott in Westland. Scott, welcome to the show. I've only Hi, got about um, a minute left, though. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, Attorney General Nashville needs to issue a formal opinion uh, declaring uh, Michigan's dormant uh, anti-abortion law um, unconstitutional. Uh, Whenever there's a dispute, legal dispute between state officials, the attorney general has original jurisdiction over the matter. Mm-hmm. So um, these decisions, these formal opinions have the weight of law, and I think the due process demands that Attorney General Nessel uh, issue an opinion before it can be heard by any court. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that both the uh, Supreme Court and the Court of Claims will remand um, these petitions from both the governor and uh, Planned Parenthood because they don't have jurisdiction. The attorney general has original jurisdiction. So yeah. um, I, That's an important procedural point, uh, uh, and I'm glad you called and, and made it, Scott. I'm not a lawyer either, uh, so I'm not going to go too far in talking about what that would uh, produce. But, but Dr. Wallet, I do, just in the last 30 seconds, want to talk about what, what else you think might need to be done if this does happen. The majority of Americans support the right to abortion um, for individuals. And I think that we all need to do everything possible to make sure that the people we love and care about in Michigan have access to the health care that they need, including abortion. Um, I think talking about it is the right thing to do, um, getting involved, um, you know, pushing our elected officials um, on this issue, um, supporting the work that people are doing um, to try to make sure that, you know, my patients can access the health care that they need. Okay. Uh, Dr. Sarah Wallet of Planned Parenthood was great to have you here with us for this discussion. Thanks so much for joining. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow when we're going to talk with journalist Sarah Alvarez about hundreds of thousands of DTE power shutoffs that occurred during the peak of the pandemic. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.